What is up, guys, and welcome to another episode of Guarani Vision, the first ever podcast dedicated to Paraguayan football in English. As always, I'm Roberto Rojas, and joining me are my two great co-hosts, Federico Perez and Ralph Hanna. And guys, obviously, the European season is done, but that doesn't mean that stuff in South America is getting right into the force. Obviously, the Copa Libertadores has just wrapped up its group stage alongside the Suamericana. We're going to talk about the teams that indeed qualify to the competition. Some teams also going to the Suamericana. We're going to talk about who Uh, survived and who's going to the next round obviously we have to talk about what's been going on in the Avi Roja because despite Paraguay not making it to the World Cup there are still some friendlies against two teams that are actually going to be playing in the World Cup obviously Guillermo Barros Geloto has gone silent over the last few weeks but has since made this announcement of a new uh, squad we'll talk about what's been going on there and so guys I'm, I'm happy about this happy to have Ralph Baga we were he was dearly missed last week but uh Yeah, I mean, Fede, I'll go to you first. I mean, obviously, you would think that you were obviously at the Super Classico yesterday. It's, I mean, talk about two different Super Classicos for for both these sides. I mean, you thought that these games were going to be very much tight as they always are, but we saw the best and the worst, I guess you would say, from both Olimpia and Cerro Porteño. But um, how are people reacting to these games and obviously heading into the draw happening tomorrow? Hi, Roberto. Hi, Rob. Yeah, we got so much to talk about. These two Super Classicals in the same week. It's just not a, a an everyday thing, uh, an every year situation, I would even say. I mean, when is this going to happen again, right? Four Super Classicals in the first semester, in the first half of the year. We had, we had a lot to, to talk about. Cerro Porteño being the big winner in this clash of Paraguay and Giants, I believe, winning 4-0, that local league match, and then uh, getting... Uh, the chance to qualify against their historical rival. It was, it was important for fans, obviously, Cerro Porteño making it happen at home, even though they had to suffer to do that. We'll obviously look into this match today in this episode. Uh, Libertad made it through also. They had it tough, even though they, they ended up uh, winning by a pretty good uh, result in that second half against uh, the Bolivian side, the strongest. Uh, Huayreña also ended their journey in South Americana with a draw. They are eliminated, but hey, uh, people uh, are, are clapping at this team. I mean, they won people's hearts here in Paraguay also. They didn't lose a single game. They, they, they got to get their props, obviously, Huayreña, uh, just because of the format they're actually out of South Americana. Uh, we have columns for the national team, just like you were saying, Roberto. Yeah, I'm actually surprised with a couple of names that I see In this list, I'm actually excited to see them play. Hopefully, they do get, get playing time, and hopefully, we start building a new team up. And, you know, so much has happened in Europe. Also, uh, uh, leagues are coming to an end. We have the, the, the Champions League final coming th this weekend. That's always a big game uh, over there in Europe. Also, in South America, people look into that game. I, I was actually just checking uh instagram and i saw miguel Almiron on vacations hitting the beach already and now he's got to go to asia he's got to go play japan he's got to go play korea at least the life of these players is just crazy and he had to put up with champion jack Grealish taunting him i don't know what, what was wrong with this guy I, i want rob to explain the situation to me also why is jack Grealish talking about miguel Almiron? What the hell did Miguel Almiron do to Jack Grealish during the season for this guy to talk about him in the middle of, of him celebrating a championship? What is wrong with this Manchester City dude? 
of all the players to pick on and he's picked on a Paraguayan. So now he's going to feel the full force. That's why Maria's not here. She's in Ibiza right now. And that's where Jack We're looking for is. him. We're looking for him. Yeah, she's she's like, I'm going to find you. <laughs> um, there, was, there was a game... I mean, Man City won that game like 5-0, but I think at the very end, they, they had a little clash um, with, with Almiron fouling Grealish. So maybe it's from there, he's remembered. But yeah, it was a, it was a strange shout out. But yeah, le- less of that, more in, in our league. We have, we have plenty of drama over here, so we don't need to always go over there. Um, wow, what, what more can I say about, yeah, the, the Clásicos, the, the national team, um, Another thing, I mean, Copa Paraguay is still going on with a few teams coming through. The big guys aren't playing yet, as we we talked about. Um, and there were there was a cup surprise actually last night for a Paraguayan. Luis Amaria got knocked out uh, with Minnesota. They got knocked out to a team called Union Omaha, which is quite rare in the U.S. Cup there. But another guy doing really well in in the U.S. is Sebastian Ferreira. He got a he got a great goal at the weekend in the MLS. And then I think he had two assists that game. Uh, he's joint top scorer for, for Houston Dynamo along with Darwin Quintero. So he's he's having a great time. So I'm glad to see our players doing well because like you say, the leagues keep going on this side of the world. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> all credit to Jack Grealish. I mean, the guy is obviously a millionaire he's, he's he's gucci's ambassador what are you doing picking on a paraguayan dude come on go go out and celebrate with your your vodka sodas and, and whatnot don't don't pick on a paraguayan because if you do you'll feel the force of not just paraguayans but newcastle fans as twitter has definitely shown that for anyone really but let's let's definitely switch gears to what's been going on in our own country in our own country i'm saying paraguay but obviously we are going to talk about the two super classicals that happened obviously we had one on the weekend on sunday between cerro porteño and olympia being played at the defensores del jaco which Honestly, guys, it was actually surprising that we didn't see a lot of fans on that day. You would think that being a Sunday, being a big day, okay, yes, the two teams aren't exactly in the position to possibly win the league, but still, it's a big game nevertheless. But boy, did Cerro Bordeño absolutely took care of business in that game. 4-0 winners on the day, one of the biggest routes that Cerro has had against Olympia in quite some time. Obviously, Cerro Bordeño had this game. Um, using an alternative squad, you saw, I think, what nine changes then that was made for the super classical that happened in the Libertadores. Uh, but boy, was it a fantastic result for Cerro Bordeño goals from Alfio Oviedo, Luis Farinha, and Alan Rodriguez, who, despite his young age, is actually one of the highest goal scorers in the super classical. I think he has one of the most appearances in recent times. And this guy's like, what, 21, 22 years old, something around those lines. So it's uh, Fede. I mean, this was an impressive result for Cerro Porteño going into it. And, you know, it, it also shows that at least for the local level, Cerro still have that depth. And I don't know if that's a demonstration of how good they are or how Olympia just continue to be this hot and cold side, regardless of how they perform. Yeah, I, I think this match was totally... Uh, uh in the wrong place at the wrong time for Olympia, right? I mean, they had so many injured players and their heads was was totally on this uh, game that was coming up in the Libertadores. I think that was the biggest reason to why they had to uh, put a lot of their main players on the bench and put them on in the second half of the game, right? And then you saw the best out of Olympia. When that second half started, you saw Paiva coming in, Paiva making a couple of shots 
uh, uh, put a, he put a, poke, a couple of balls on, on the post, and those were the big chances for Olympia to get back into a game that ended up 4-0. Yeah, Cerro did it perfect. I mean, they did they did it with their style. They had the ball. They, they were playing a, a lot better in, in different sort of the tackle those, 40, those first 45 minutes, and they really earned it, especially. And I was really happy to see Luis Parina. That was one of the big moments, I believe, right? See him score after everything he's been gone through. Uh, this last couple of years, coming back to football. I mean, a lot of people thought this guy was just going to retire. Many people didn't even think we were going to see him again. And Chiqui Arce is a big part of it. Uh, the coach of bringing him back, he took the decision on uh, of putting him back on the roster, actually, this year. He called him up and he wanted him here uh, to be an option, to be an alternative. And <laughs> look what a big game. Uh, they needed him, right? And and he really came through, and he's he's actually, I think, getting back to his level. Uh, and then you had other storylines, like you were saying, uh, Alan Rodriguez, who has who has history now, scoring two goals against Olympia. He had scored against them also on, on their home ground. So yeah, you have this special rivalry that's building up, especially because they 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 have been playing so much this year. So players really know each other now. And it was kind of weird to see a 4-0. I, I think it was just too much from Cerro Porteño uh, against Olympia. I think with the two-zip, I would have been more than happy or more than satisfied, I would say, uh, out of what I saw. I think a, a two difference was more than enough. But uh, Cerro did not let their fans down. And they really put on a show on that super classical route. Yeah, it was, a, it was a really surprise result for me. I mean, looking going into the game, I kind of felt Olympia might might win it. I remembered that, for example, Nesto Camacho played really well the last time those sides met, and and he was really difficult for Cerro to, to control. So even though he's not usually a starter, he was coming into this match and and knowing that he'd had a good game. And Cerro struggled so much without Carascal in the middle. He's he's been such a key player for them. So again, with him rested on the bench. You you thought hmm, maybe there's maybe there's a good chance for Olympia, but within well within ten minutes that was out the out the picture when Alfio Oviedo scores the penalty, and then you have that brilliant Luis Perinha strike, which like you say, Fede, he's he's gone through so much. I think his last goal, I was trying to find it. It was it was like three years ago in in Portugal when he was still there, or in Greece. I can't remember. It was in Europe, right? Um, he hadn't scored for for Cerro, and he joined in 2019. So that, that was wonderful for him. And, and that's kind of been a theme, actually, of Cerro in recent Clásicos as well. Remember, Claudio Aquino scored a great goal recently in the, in the Clásico. Um, and they seem to have just pulled out and, and put in those big performances when they need to. And then we had, of course, Alan Rodriguez with that. I mean, the, the first goal is kind of, kind of lucky, but it's the free kick, right? The free kick is a, an incredible strike. It's, it's really well hit. And that's what he's brought to this side. He's a very good crosser of the ball. He's good from set pieces. And it became a game, I think, as well, because of the early goals from Cerro. I think Olympia felt, well, we have to try and do something. So that's why Paiva came on and, and like you said, hit the bar twice. But then it became a very like open game, which is a total contrast. I'm sure we'll talk about it soon, about Wednesday's game. In the Libertadores, where much more was at stake, you kind of felt there were this was a bit more of an open game. I think the disappointment for Olympia fans will be the manner of that defeat, though the 4-0. The, the 
um, because they hadn't lost by such a big margin for so long. I was going back <clears throat> in any classical for either side. Nobody had won by four goals since uh, 2005. So you're going back to that was a day when like Jorge Achucarro was scoring for Cerro, Santiago Salcedo, who's still playing, by the way. Uh, even uh, Grana was playing for Cerro and he scored that day. So it's been a it's been a really long time that there's such a big difference. We had a few. I think we had some four ones. We had the four two. I remember when Rocky scores four, but we hadn't had that such a big gap of four goals until then. So that would have been disappointing for Olympia. But yeah, whether it, I wonder if you if you think uh, Roberto like did that put pressure on them for Wednesday or maybe not because the teams were so different, right? This was almost a B team. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it, it definitely provided pressure, more so because Cerro Bortenio were going into that game as we shift gears now to the Liga Um, Obviously, they went into that game needing just a win or a draw. And yeah, they were they could have afforded to lose, but you're not going to lose to your best, to your biggest rival at the uh, at your home ground, which unfortunately that did happen as we saw Cerro Bortenio play Olimpia in the Copa Libertadores, the final match where we were talking about how this was going to be very much a decisive game. Fernando Cardoso scoring in the 10th minute. And honestly, we did not see a Cerro side that were willing to attack. I mean, you were at the game. I, I think we saw very much a, an unproductive Cerro side. I don't remember, at least in that first half, a, a Cerro Bortenio side that just seemed so unproductive in quite some time. And especially with other results going uh, their way, obviously the game between Colón and Peñarol. Peñarol were actually winning. Uh, the game against Colón, meaning that if Claudio Aquino had made that penalty in the last minute, it, Olympia would have been out regardless of everything uh, what happened. So nevertheless, Olympia are going to go to the Sudamericana. Cerro Porteño are going to the round of 16, finishing up as runners up. But boy, I mean, Cerro Porteño fans have every right to feel mad and, and especially because of the way that they kind of, I would say, screwed up in these last three games, failing to win any of them. That's true, Roberto. I mean, in the last three games, they weren't able to win. They weren't able. They weren't able to show their best football either. I mean, several fans had to satisfy themselves with a team that was just looking for the result they needed. You know, you got that feeling when they played Peñarol last time around, and Peñarol had a penalty for themselves. They couldn't make it, and and then you had and then you had this game that came up uh, against Olympia. And Olympia almost took them from, from them all. And, and several and several had the opportunity to, to score on them uh, to tie it up right at the end, and they couldn't do it either. So, so yeah, I was actually waiting a lot more from Cerro Porteño in these games uh, just because Cerro fans really put up the show in the preview, and you saw this solid side from Cerro, that 4-0 against Olympia a couple of days before. So, yeah, you were thinking, okay, Cerro is coming back to themselves. Uh, Chiqui Ars is getting it done this time. And it wasn't that night. Uh, it was it, right away it went for Olympia. They got the first goal uh, up on the scoreboard. The, the night had its suspense. It, it was a fun night to watch a game, really. Olympia put on the pressure from the start, from the start scored quickly, was intense. But they did not have enough fuel. They, they they barely got to this match with a couple of players. I mean, Richard Ortiz was not 100%. You could see it. He uh, Unfortunately, they, he, he did not get to this game uh, at the best form. I did not see the best Derlis Gonzalez either, and they really need this player to 
to really stand out and uh, and, and score. And and the downside for me was Alex Silva. I mean, this is a legend in in Olympia. This is a player that played uh, a Libertadores final, and him not showing up for his team and just messing up every time he had the ball, uh, putting bad. Uh, putting bad centers when when he had the ball uh, on corners. I mean, I, I, I couldn't watch. I couldn't bear to watch him anymore on, on the pitch. I, I, to be honest, I, I was just waiting for for his manager to take him out and see another player because he was really doing. He was really the the, the worst player on his team, and I, I was surprised that his manager couldn't see it and he he wasn't taking him out because the the other players were really putting their hearts out and. They were really close to that 2-0 on that first half of the game. Olympia should be proud of themselves. I mean, they had a young team. They couldn't hire. They they are third in the local league right now. They fought to the last game, the chance to advance in the Libertadores. They only won two games, it's true, in group phase. And they were both by 1-0 against Peñarol, Peñarol and Cerro Porteño. But... But they built up. I mean, Fernando Cardoso had a great Libertadores. Luis Zárate, a young defender. Marcos Gamarra, Hugo Quintana, Marcos Gomez. These guys are gaining experience. I think Olympia is going to take out a lot uh, out of this uh, Libertadores from 2022. Obviously, they wanted to win it. They, they went after it. I think Olympia did their side. And Cerro fans were the ones that kind of felt that their money, their money, just wasn't enough for this game. I mean, the players should have done a lot more, Ralph. I was expecting expecting a lot more from Claudio Aquino. I was expecting more of Marcelo Moreno Martins. I mean, this guy has been here for, for ages now, and he's he's has he, he's had enough uh, game time, enough games with this jersey to show the best out of him. And if Cerro's going to play like this in the second semester, if Cerro's going to play like this against a Brazilian giant or a big team from Argentina, uh, you know, that's what several Porteño fans were thinking uh, leaving this game after they lost 1-0 to Olympia. Yeah, it's, it's funny, right, to think that it was Cerro that have gone through and, and Olympia that dropped to the Sudamericana, but the, the sensations are totally the opposite. It's the Cerro fans that are feeling kind of disappointed with the result, whereas Olympia feel okay because of the points you, you mentioned, Fede, that it's, it's been a very difficult time for them being unable to, to sign players and, and they're bringing through a lot of a lot of young players so it, it was a really strange game to me as well I mean you just don't see Cerro playing without the ball that's that's very rarely their tactic and and they hardly they did actually have the ball they 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 recovered the ball a lot, but they just couldn't keep possession. And that's really strange in this team to see that they're not able to circulate the ball or have patient uh, possession buildup. And, and that really surprised me. And that just, yeah, the whole game was, there was no kind of rhythm to it or anything. Uh, and in the first half, that, that really could have cost them. The, the, the early goal from Olympia um, is well taken by Cardoso, who I think has been probably their best player in the Libertadores uh, this this season he's been very strong um <clears throat> but it was the one time i noticed that alexis duarte actually didn't win a header he, he loses the head at the fiver uh, for that goal but then after that i did think cerro was very strong defensively patino and, and duarte didn't get too troubled but they weren't able to do anything to kind of relieve pressure so if it was on those two 
for the main of the game to try and see off Olympia. And yeah, one goal to Olympia could have could have swung it, and and they could have been out. Um, and then then towards the end of the game, Cerro got really lucky in a way with the penalties. It's kind of a lucky bounce, I think, to the that puts it into Oviedo's path and for the for the foul. <clears throat> and Aquino had that great chance that that would have put Olympia out of the competition. And I think if that penalty had gone in, it would have changed like the whole narrative. Then I think Cerro fans wouldn't be so worried in a way and they would have felt they got one over on their, their old enemy. But, <clears throat> but as it stands, they go through in second place. They know this thing tomorrow, I think in the draw, they're going to, they have the chance of like Flamengo, Palmeiras, uh, Atletico Mineiro, like the, the big teams. <laughs> And and they know they're going to struggle against against those sides. They might be hoping for another Paraguayan if, if they get Libertad, because um, that might be their their best chance of getting into the quarterfinals. But yeah, it was I, I found it a really strange game. It was like the atmosphere was so good, but what we were seeing on the pitch was was a big contrast. Absolutely, and obviously looking at it real quick with Libertad. Uh, as you said, Ralph have won their group only by a goal. They were shared on points with Atlético Paranaense, but with one goal of a, a one goal difference, they will finish as group winners. And heading into this draw, guys, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if it favors any of the two teams. Looking at how strong all the other teams are, I think for Libertad, yeah, you do see some of the advantages for them because you have. Some Brazilian sides, uh, a Colombian side, an Ecuadorian side, a few Argentine sides. But, Ralph, I mean, I'll go to you on this one. I think regardless of who they play, unless they do play each other, obviously, I think this round of 16 favors Libertad more than it does for Cedro. Yeah, I would say you really want to finish first rather than second. Looking, I'm just having a scroll down at some of the people there. Like, they might get Deportes Tolima, Vélez who I didn't think Vélez were very good in this competition, that, that last game against the Estudiantes, they, they managed to get through. Um, who else could they get? Emelec. So it's, it's a much easier prospect than, than, um, <clears throat> than what Cerro could potentially face. I mean, we're talking, yeah, they might get River, who just <laughs> scored eight goals in a game. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I agree. I think it, it was important for Libertad as well. To make sure they got that big win today because Atletico Paranaense were, were winning big too. So, like you said, they went through on a on a single uh on a single goal. Um it, it was a strange game, the the game against the strongest. Uh the first half I thought the strongest played better than Libertad. Libertad got managed to get the goal through Melgarejo on a on a set piece because the Bolivians weren't defending very well from set pieces. Um, but then they hit back with, with a well-worked goal and they, they were probably, for me, playing better football. But in the second half, you saw, I suppose, that that kind of strength that Libertad has of, of just being able to, to keep grinding teams down and they get the penalty, then, they, then there's the red card to, uh, to one of the strongest and suddenly they're down to 10 men and 2-1 down, they're going out of the competition anyway and they, they kind of capitulated for me for me the end and and I suppose it shows the quality of Libertad as well that they didn't play particularly well this evening but they won 4-1 they finished top of their group at one point Rocky Santa Cruz who's who almost scored actually I think is an own goal in the end Rocky Santa Cruz comes off he's replaced by Oscar Cardoso uh, so there's so much as we talked before there's so much talent in that team 
they've done it without Julio and Ciso, who's at the moment injured, but they didn't even use him much in the Libertadores in the early games. They they were saving him for the league. So they, they've shown they, they have a really strong team together. I think it's a big question who they get in the next round and also for, as we've talked about on this show a few times, for Garnero to make sure he gets those tactics right in the big games, which has sometimes let him down. Um, and just but, a quick... Yeah, yeah just on. a quick word on Olympia, guys. Obviously, Fede, looking at the Sudamericana, obviously they'll be in pot two, looking at the seeding that will be made uh, tomorrow at the time of recording. Uh, they have a lot of Brazilian teams uh, in that kind of uh, role, but you think that maybe their chances are a bit stronger, you would say. I mean, yes, obviously there's a lot of strong talent. We saw that last year uh, when Libertad made it all the way to the semifinals, but do you fancy Olympia's chances in this one? Because I think if they're able to get a strong unit heading into the latter, stage, latter stages of the match of the um, of the competition, they can do something. Yeah, obviously Olympia can can probably uh, go pretty far in, in Sudamericana. We've always said that maybe Libertadores was just too big for them this year, and you know things ended up this way. Olympia going out to Sudamericana. And it, it, it's probably going to depend on what kind of team they're going to go up against to see their chances uh, in the future. But I, I do think that Olympia is going to get a couple of players back. They have a couple of players on, uh, on loans that they're going to try to get back into the squad for the second half of the year. And that's going to be very important for them because they are still not going to be able to hire. They, they, they have so many devs. They, all the money is going to that. And, and that's got to be the main goal for this year, you know, just to put all those, those problems away. And I think the team just needs to fight it. And, and, and fans just can expect this from the team. I mean, for, for Olympia to fight it and to try to get, do the best they can this year. I don't, I don't think fans should expect for Olympia to win a title this year. They, they, I think they would even, they need to concentrate more on the local league on the second semester than in the Sudamericana. If you're honestly asking my opinion, I think they should focus more on the local league and try to win it, especially uh, because they don't want to have a long Libertadores again on, on, on 2023, right? Because that's, that was one of the problems in this season. That's why they had so many injured players because they had the longest Libertadores uh, up until now. So I, I do think they should probably get their heads back into the local league and Olympia is always forced to you're always waiting for a team a big team like Ocerro Olympia to fight the champions championships and it would be weird for them to not win it in a whole year uh, I do think they're gonna they're gonna put their focus on on the clausura maybe a little bit more than in Sudamericana 100%, when it 100%. comes down to that Absolutely. And I think obviously that is the, the mentality, that is the reality that unfortunately Olympia are in at the moment. So definitely see what happens to them and obviously the other two Paraguayan sides in the group uh, in the round of 16 draw for the Copa Libertadores as we switch gears now to a topic that we haven't had too much time to talk about because of the failure that they made to not go to the World Cup. But that's obviously the Paraguay national team. Uh, Paraguay will be playing two friendlies in Asia during this international break that will be happening in a couple of days. They'll be taking on Japan and South Korea, two teams who will be playing in the World Cup in Qatar this summer. Uh, sorry, this winter. Well, winter slash summer, I guess you would say for both of us. But nevertheless, we do see a Paraguay side made by Guillermo Barcelotto that is pretty much the same, I would say. Uh, 
Fed, I'll go to you on this one first. I mean, we do see some familiar names as we've always been expected for. So not much has changed, but we do see some returns uh, as well. We see the return of Derlis Gonzalez of Olympia. We see also a player that I'm sure a lot of people, uh, I guess, in, in, in Paraguay's cases are a bit critical of, Alan Benitez, the defender of Cerro Porteño, and also a new name, Ivan Casal of Sol America, the 23-year-old right back, a player that, uh, obviously has been in the radar of, of some good form recently uh, for Sol America. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just want your initial thoughts on this list and even talk about what Casal is, given the fact that this was a player that had come from Santander, obviously made it to Sol America and was actually linked to a few teams uh, across uh, South America as well. Uh, yeah, this is one of those players that uh, he's been around here for a while on, on on the first uh, division. And he's one of those times that, you know, the more that you see him play, you ask yourself, why is, still, why is he still here? I mean, he's such a good player. He's so, he's so fast. He's, he's very intelligent. And, you know, he's had a, a pretty rough life. And you, you will, I would love to see him succeed also. And, and yeah, he, he's kind of stuck here in South America. I thought he was going to move himself into a bigger team eventually. He hasn't done that yet. Uh, but I, I, I do think he's, he has a great, uh, a great future ahead of him. And this, and this opportunity to go and practice and play for the national team is just going to be big for him. It's just going to make him even better. And I want to see this player evolve and maybe he's one of those surprises that we're going to see in the next qualifier for the for the for the world cup i mean maybe this is one of those new names that guillermo and and his brother want to to build up and you know he he might do that i, I i'm actually surprised to see josue colman also again he, he's been around the, in the last call call-ups but uh you know this is a player that in in my terms it, it shouldn't be on the on the national team radar, but for Steloto, he, he, he has, he has a talent. He, he sees in him a young player that, that already went to MLS that came back to, to Paraguay. And, you know, maybe he wants to see if he can get something out of these players. I mean, these are players that a lot of people are probably not expecting them to be big stars in the national team. But you never know. We have four years from now to the next World Cup. A lot of things could happen in between. And that's what I heard Steloto talking about. Uh, he needs 35 players that he can count on. He needs a, a base of 35 players that he can move around on and, that's, and still get the same uh, uh, style of play, right? Uh, he, he wants that. He, he, he doesn't want for a player to come out and the whole team to, to collapse like we've kind of seen happening lately. When, 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 when we had to move a couple of players around. And uh, we have a couple of, of new goalkeepers. I don't think Anthony Silva is going to be around for forever. He's in a great shape right now in, in the Mexican League. But uh, I see Santiago Rojas there. He's a, he's a young goalkeeper. Uh, Spinola uh, coming back. Also, he's been called up several times. But we haven't seen these guys being uh, starters and you know it's friendlies now I, I i hope he opens up his mind and i hope we see the young players uh, don't put gustavo gomez uh, don't put miggy almiron as a starter i mean these guys let them rest a bit and uh, let them be part of the journey let them be part of this transition that we need to go through in the locker room because they've been there forever but eventually leave them out bro because 
they've done enough and they're pretty much losers right now. That's the way a lot of people see them in the country. You see a Gustavo Gomez and yeah, he's doing great in his club, but in the national league, in the national team, him, the Romero twins. Yeah. A lot of people take the pictures with them. A lot of people love them, but in the national team, they are losers to a lot of people's eyes, obviously. And that they need, they need to build a new team. They need to be important in that locker room. And I'm hoping for that transition to be, just go smoothly, Ralph. The smooth transition that never seems to happen, but we can hope. Um, isn't it, yeah, it's, it's an interesting squad. I mean, there's a few absentees, maybe we should mention. Junior Alonso's not there, but that's kind of his club have requested that. Um, who else isn't there that I thought was a surprise? Alexis Duarte doesn't make it, but Luis Zarate does. Um, so that, I, I found that quite surprising, knowing that that for me, Alexis Duarte has been in previous squads and, and looks quite good. Um, that there's nothing he's been doing recently that, that would like get him out of form, in, in my opinion. Um, and then you, then you have in, in midfield, it's interesting, right? Richard Ortiz is back, and you get the feeling that Richard Ortiz is the one that Skelotto wants to use as the one experienced player to kind of get the young ones up to speed and, and know what it's like to, to play at international level. Because again, I don't think he's a player that's, he's barely around at the moment. He's struggling so much with injury. He won't be there in, in four years. So I think he's kind of using him to, to help uh, bring up some of the, the younger players. But with him in there, you're missing some some other other players. Uh, Brian Ojeda hasn't made it this time because he's just totally out of the picture at Nottingham Forest, which is a big shame for him. Um, and then you don't see see maybe the the Marco Gomez, the Hugo Quintana, uh, Hugo Martinez, uh, some of the the other central mid, young central midfielders that are are playing in the local league. So there's there's a few absentees here, of course, because you have to if we're bringing in some of these other new players. But I'm definitely with Fede that let's let's go out there and start trying some new players. Was it Galarza has been called up now for the second time? He didn't get a chance in the World Cup qualifiers, so let's give him his chance now. Uh, we talked about Sebastian Ferreira playing very well. I think give it give him a shot to to start up front. Um, and then with the Romero twins, the one thing I just say is it's interesting, right? That for me is Oscar Romero that's actually having a better time of it at the moment. He seems to have really rediscovered his form at Boca, um, whereas before, during the World Cup qualifiers, it was Ankel you could rely on and, and not so much Oscar. So it's, it's the other twin at the moment doing the, the good work. So I, I'd like to see him have a have a starting role because he's he's playing well at the moment at club level. But yeah, let's see. Let's go. Let's do some, some experimenting and, and find out what happens. There's one name that caught your eye, Roberto. You just mentioning there. That's Matias Galarza. He has barely played in Brazil. I don't know if you guys have noticed his numbers. He hasn't played yet in his new club ever since he left Vasco Gama. And I'm actually just surprised to see this name here again on this list, especially because of that situation, because he's not playing. I mean, if you're not playing in your club, how are you going to be able to bring your football to the national team? I mean, this guy has no rhythm. And he has, what, 30 games so far in the first league? I mean, he hasn't played that much yet. So uh, I'm thinking maybe they are trying to take this player away from another national team, like we, we mentioned before, because Bolivia was after him. Then then really opening, opening up a spot for him and the team, because 
they called him up last time, but they didn't use him uh, at all, uh, Matias Calaza. We haven't seen him play with the national team yet, Roberto. Yeah, no, and I think this is the case where, you know, I think Guillermo Marscalotto is smart enough to hopefully go for those players that haven't had that time, that haven't had that experience, and just go out and, and see what they can do. Obviously, they'll have to play a few more friendlies this year. They got the game against Mexico in August, so that's more, uh, I guess you would say, a test for them in the way to see how they shape up against uh, other teams in the, in the world. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how this goes, but you're right. I think when you do have those players that really are not playing well at their club, what can you do? But also at the point, you look at the kind of depth that Paraguay has, and I'm talking quality depth that's good enough for the national team. You don't see that. You don't see a big list. It's not competitive at all. So, you know, you need to just go with what you feel as though is the future. Galarza is still young. Was he like 21 or something, 22? So, obviously still a very young player and has a lot to develop in his game. So I think certainly if he's able to build in that kind of motivation and more uh, consistency on the national team, maybe it could be lucky for him. So we're definitely going to have to wait and see what happens to them. Obviously they take on Japan first uh, on June 2nd before taking on South Korea eight days later. So they'll have some time in Asia actually. I'm looking. I'm looking at the list, Roberto. And we have only have seven players out of this list that play in Europe right now. Seven yep, players that are in Europe, and the players from the locally. Yeah, there are a couple of them that are new, but uh, are any of these players eventually going to be in Europe? I think the ones that are going to be in Europe are right now injured, which are M which are Morales and and Julio Ciso. I think those are the next gems from Paraguay. Are going to be in Europe, and yeah, we mentioned Alexis Duarte there. Maybe uh, he could make the leap, but th that's going to be also very important for, for these guys to get a, a spot in the national team and earn their chance really uh, to, to make that leap, uh, obviously, in their career from the Paraguayan League to a bigger place to a bigger league. Roberto. So that's going to be important also in this Absolutely. process, definitely. And so, we'll wait, have to wait and see what happens there as we close off to another. Great episode, What a Division, for myself, Roberto Rojas, Fede Perez, and Ralph Hanna. Thank you so much for listening in. See you soon.